Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us, and Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch. From chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos, Walters menu has something for everyone. On top of that, for only $20, enjoy bottomless drinks, including mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and old-time lagers. Walk on over to Walters for Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Tip at 9 p.m. this Monday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To Soto, the kick at Lauer's pitch. Swung on. Hit high in the air to right center field. Kane going back. Looking up. Going. Going. And gone. Goodbye. And the pitch swung on. This one hit to deep center. Kane going back. Looking up. proves his homered in consecutive games. Here's the pitch. Bell swings and drives one a deep left. Down the line. Going. Going. Gone. Goodbye. Back to back to back home runs for the Nationals. Josh Bell is homered for a second straight game. Unbelievable. It's the Nationals 8 and the Brewers 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, June 12th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. If only it was always the weekend. Well, we would all be a lot happier if it was always a weekend, but the Nats would be a lot better this season. The Nats now have won three consecutive weekend series, including this ongoing series with the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park, Friday night, an 11-5 win, Saturday, an 8-6 win, which, yes, did get a bit too close for comfort, but a win is a win. The Nats offense has been outstanding in this series, 19 runs over the first two games, seven home runs over the first two games, including three homers in succession on Saturday. Nats this season now 23-38. and 38. The Brewers are reeling. Uh, they've lost eight consecutive games. And Mark, what hasn't happened at all this season, a Nats sweep of a series could happen on Sunday afternoon. And with our guy, the secret weapon, Paolo Espino, getting the surprise start. We'll start Espino tomorrow. This really was a whopper from Davey Martinez to you guys after the game. And every indication was that Evan Lee would get the start. And instead, Davey with the Roos. He, uh, he pulled the wool over all of our eyes. Paolo is getting the nod for game three. Well, you know what, Al? Maybe it wouldn't have happened, but once they won this game, now they have a chance at the first sweep of the year. You're going to your ace in the hole, the secret weapon, to try to finish off the sweep. I think that's why Paolo's getting this start, right? Gotta be. 
I would think so. You want the closer to close out the series. Now, look, this isn't the headline item from the day. We'll get to the headline item momentarily. But, you know, every indication had been Evan Lee was going to get the start. He was sitting with the starters on Friday night. So did Davey change his mind or was this an elaborate work by Davey to try to throw (laughs) off the Brewers somehow? Lee was in the dugout again for this game again with the starters. And so you're thinking, okay, that seems what you're going to do. And Paolo is sitting in the bullpen. So I guess when he said, we have to wait and see what happens in this game first, I assumed he meant we have to wait and see to make sure we're not going to use Evan Lee. Maybe he had to wait and see to make sure he didn't have to use Paolo Espino. And once he realized he could get through the game without him, then he knew he was good to go. I would imagine we're going to see both guys, to be honest. I don't know how much Paolo can be stretched out. Maybe you're lucky you get five innings from him, but you know he really hasn't thrown that much this year. So I would imagine they'll have Lee ready to go in case. But it threw us all for a loop. It all seemed to line up for Evan Lee to make the start. I think he had dropped some hints, and I said the other day that I think we're going to see Paolo get a start at some point. I figured the doubleheader against the Phillies, but no, this is the matchup they like for him, and um, it's going to make Sunday a, an even bigger day at the ballpark than it already would have been. Certainly for the Nats Chat podcast. Well, maybe Davey can hypnotize Paolo into thinking that Nats are down 11 nothing in the first, just so Paolo is in a, a comfortable environment, you know, pitching with the Nats down by so many runs. But that'll be fun on Sunday afternoon. In the meantime, Saturday was a lot of fun. And 8-6 Nats win over the Brewers to take the first two games of this series. The Nats scored four runs in the bottom of the third and four runs in the bottom of the fifth. And what happened in that bottom of the fifth inning, one of the great moments of this Nats season so far, one of the great sequences of this Nats season so far, back-to-back-to-back home runs. Uh, Juan Soto, a one-out, two-run homer. Nelson Cruz followed with a solo homer. Josh Bell followed with a solo homer. So not just, you know, the unique occurrence of three consecutive home runs, but those three guys. This Nats lineup was supposed to be about those three guys. You know, each guy has had his stretches of greatness this season, stretches of struggling, Soto, Cruz, and Bell. It was so great to see that. Nats Park came alive because of that. And um, it's the kind of thing we thought we might see at some point this season. And we obviously did see it on Saturday. So we've talked so much this year about the it's not the what, it's the who does it. And I would argue that the who on this day was really important because all eight runs are driven in by Soto, Cruz, and Bell. They all had good quality at bats in the third inning, driving in the four runs. And then obviously they had quality at bats in the fifth inning with three straight homers. Like you said, this is what they were supposed to be all along. This is the lineup they envisioned, the kind of production they thought they were going to get from them on a more regular basis. And I know we're two months in, but there's still a lot of summer to go and the weather's going to heat up. Maybe we are going to start seeing a little bit more of this kind of game from them, which I think we both thought all along is the kind of offensive game we would see from this team more regularly. It does seem like when all three are going well, it makes a difference. They feed off each other. Certainly Soto, when he feels like there is good protection behind him, he thinks he gets better pitches to hit. He felt much more comfortable hitting today, uh, knowing that they were nervous about facing Cruz behind him. And Josh Bell, when you're hitting behind all of them, you're going to come up with runners on base all the time. He did a nice job with a sack line out in the uh, third inning and then the home run. It just kind of all came together in a way that I'm sure Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez envisioned all along. We just have not seen that happen on a regular basis yet this year. 
Well, and as three-man combinations in Major League Baseball go, when these three guys are at their best, this actually has the potential to be one of the better triumvirates in the majors, I think. I mean, all three guys are really capable. All three guys, when they're going well, can be going exceptionally well. You just want to have it so that each guy is surging at the same time, and we haven't quite had that just yet this season. Perhaps we're going to get that here as, like you said, the weather heats up. You know, it's funny. It's not like Saturday was some scorching day in D.C. It was actually, it was a nice day. We have had much hotter days in in recent weeks, but these guys went deep in succession like that. Three straight home runs. You know, Brewers are not playing well right now, so the Nats are capably taking advantage of a Brewers team that is struggling. And, you know, Nelson Cruz, it's really interesting what's happening here. He is on some kind of a tear. And, you know, the power still isn't quite there, although he's homered in each of the first two games of this series. But man, every game it feels like is a multi-hit game these days for Nelson Cruz. He on Friday night went four for five with a solo homer, two RBI singles, and another single. And then Cruz on Saturday, two for four with not just the solo homer, but a big two-run double. The Nats had that aforementioned four-run third inning. Nelson Cruz, a one-out, bases-loaded two-run double to left field for a 3-1 Nats lead. So rumors of the demise of Nelson Cruz greatly exaggerated. His slugging percentage for the season still isn't that good, but his batting average for the season is up to 266. Like, remember, it was so bad for the first month plus. He's got a 345 on base, and if he can just get that power going a little more, this might actually end up being the Nelson Cruz who we envisioned coming into this season. Well, I'm going to give you some numbers here, and this doesn't include this latest game. Uh, so we're going to have to add that to it, and obviously it's going to help. But since May 7th, this was in Anaheim when he hit his uh, first home run. It's now going to be 30 games. You're talking more than a month's worth. And entering uh, Saturday, he was hitting in that stretch 365 with a 441 on base and a 548 slugging for a 989 OPS. So I would assume, based on what he did in this game, that OPS is now over 1,000 over a 30-game stretch. That's a nice run for Nelson Cruz, and it would be 23 RBI over that time as well, which I know is the stat that you think is most important of them all. So it's like Josh Bell last year. You look at him and you think, ah, he's not really having that good of a year because the first month was so bad and he dug such a hole for himself to climb out of. But we're talking more than a month now where Nelson Cruz has actually hit like Nelson Cruz. I know maybe the home run total isn't quite what you would have expected it to be, but he is hitting doubles. He's hitting singles. He's coming through in big spots with runners in scoring position. I think he's been outstanding here for a good long stretch. And uh, I know you mentioned the other day when you, you solo hosted He's had a few four or five games this year where he had to be a late scratch because of something. You got worried what was going to happen. He ends up coming right back the next day and very often has been productive. So good for him at age 41 for keeping himself in shape to be able to go on a nice sustained run like this. And I think, you know, you see this in all sports. Guys who are older, who take care of their bodies, that work pays off late in careers. You know, you can get away with not training and eating properly in your 20s, maybe even your early 30s. As you get older, though, that wear and tear catches up to you that Nelson Cruz is taking care of himself. I don't think it's coincidental that he's had these various ailments pop up and then like the next day he's right back out there. I mean, we thought that back tightness, he was getting an MRI, right? I mean, we thought maybe injured list in, who the heck knows? No, he's been great these last two games since being scratched from that prior game with the back. Yeah, Nelson Cruz now this season with runners in scoring position, an OPS of 846, uh, Josh Bell, 859. So Soto has struggled this season overall with runners in scoring position, uh, but Nelson Cruz 
and Josh Bell have not. And look, I mean, let's be honest about things, right? The goal with Nelson Cruz has been to trade him come the trade deadline on August 2nd. We don't know how much longer we're going to have Soto, Cruz, and Bell together. Like, it might be that Cruz and Bell get dealt. You know, the the Bell thing is going to be really interesting. What the Nats do with that? So while we have these three guys, let's see them produce. Let's enjoy them. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot made of the three true outcomes in baseball. And, you know, the ball needs to be in play more. Personally, I've always felt that that's a little overrated. Home runs are fun. And I think on a Saturday, great day outside, Nats Brewers, Nats win. You see all three guys home run. I think it's nice to have that. It's nice to give the ticket-paying Nationals fan a nice memory like that. Three straight homers from the big three boppers in this Nats lineup. Well, we haven't had a lot of these this year where, and you know, they've won some games, but those moments where you do get a good-sized crowd, a lot of kids in the crowd on a Saturday afternoon, a chance for some sustained cheering. And you had that in that fifth inning run where, you know, you get the first roar on the first homer, then another one. And then before everyone's even had a chance to settle down, here it is again. And I know the players feed off that stuff. They really liked it. It The crowd was officially 25,000 for this game. It actually felt more than that to me. This felt like one of the better crowds they've had this year. Weekend crowds in the summertime are always, you know, better than others. And it's nice to see because there have not been a lot of these kinds of moments where fans can just really appreciate and enjoy what the home team is doing and not just you know, eking out a win or a couple of, you know, clutch hits here or there, but like a nice big power display from your three big hitters. That's a fun day at the ballpark. No doubt. Uh, Juan Soto ended up going one for two with the two run homer, a bases loaded walk and another walk. Josh Bell on Saturday, one for two with the solo homer, a walk and an RBI sack fly. Luis Garcia had three hits on Saturday. Uh, Luis, three for four with three singles. Uh, He and the Nats four run third had a leadoff infield single despite having been down to the count of 1.12. He got lucky on this to a degree. I mean, the, the single came on this like weak grounder. It was a dribbler between the mound and home plate and the uh, Brewers starting pitcher, Eric Lauer, and the Brewers catcher, Victor Caratini, nearly collided into each other. 2-2 pitch. Swing and a tapper out in front of the plate. Lauer off the hill will give way and nearly collide with Caratini, and so nobody picks it up. Garcia in the bottom of the fourth, a one-out opposite field single to shallow left field on an 0-2 pitch, though he did then get caught on and attempted steal a second base for the third out. And then Garcia, bottom of the sixth, a leadoff single to center field. Garcia offensively in this series is five for nine. Uh, all five hits have been singles. Now, he did have an error in this game on Saturday. Top of the third, a fielding error on a leadoff grounder by Mark Mathias as uh, the ball went off Garcia's glove as he was coming in on the ball Offensively, though, I think Luis Garcia has been pretty good, you know, in this latest stint. Now, his prior stints at the major league level had not gone so well in terms of his offense, but he's hitting pretty well. The defense, of course, remains the question, but Luis Garcia is batting 359 with a 366 on base uh, during his time at the major league level here in this latest go around, 487 slugging. So, at least offensively, I think you got to be pleased with what we're seeing from Luis Garcia. Yeah, it's 10 games now in and an 853 OPS to add up those numbers you just uh, outlined. Now, the three errors in the field and a couple other plays have been a little shaky out there as well. I would say he's been exactly as advertised, and that's both the good and the bad. We see why they were excited about him offensively. He's also done some of this damage against lefties, which I think is a big step for him and something he was doing at AAA. But you also see what the concern was all along, and that is prone to a lot of mistakes in the field, not just the errors, but some sloppy play and some some plays that you think, boy, he made that look a lot tougher than it needed to be, that kind of stuff. So he's going to have to continue to work on that. If he's going to stick up here, certainly as a shortstop, that's going to have to get better. But 
if you can keep hitting like this, they will overlook a lot of the other stuff and they will find a way to keep him up here and keep him in the lineup somewhere, if not at shortstop somewhere else, if he can hit like that on a consistent basis. So, so far, so good. And I would say it's pretty much been exactly what he was advertised as having done in Rochester for the first two months of the season. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Rainey has the sign. He comes set. The kick and the pitch. Swing and a miss. He blows him away with a 99 mile an hour fastball. And a curly W's in the books. And so is a series win over the Milwaukee Brewers. How about what is happening at the very top of the Nats lineup these days? Lane Thomas has been reinstalled as the Nats uh, leadoff batter. Now, we'll see how long this lasts for, but it's so funny how 
you know, you can take like a circuitous route to where you were to begin with. Lane Thomas was the every game leadoff batter as last season went on. This season, there was this idea of, hey, Cesar Hernandez is that guy, and he was that guy. And now all of a sudden, Lane Thomas is heated up, and now he's back to being the guy in the leadoff spot. Uh, he's been the leadoff man in each of the first two games in this series. Lane Thomas on Friday night, three for five with three singles. Lane Thomas on Saturday, 0 for 2, but he drew two walks, including in that uh, four-run fifth, a leadoff nine-pitch walk, despite having been down to the count at one point, 0-2. Now, Cesar Hernandez has cooled off, although he did have himself a decent game here on Saturday. He went two for four with two singles and two strikeouts. But what do you make of that? That, uh, I don't know, maybe somewhat quietly, Davey has kind of abandoned Cesar Hernandez as a leadoff batter. He's a number two batter. It's not like he's been, you know, dropped down significantly. But Lane Thomas, what we saw late last season, we're seeing at least over the first two games of this series, him in that leadoff spot. I think it has less to do with any dissatisfaction with Hernandez and more about trying to put Thomas in a position where he's had success before. And kind of like Juan Soto hitting third, your logic and your analytics may say that that's not necessarily the best place for him and that it shouldn't make a difference where they bat in the lineup. But psychologically, some guys just feel better in certain spots. I think for whatever reason, Juan Soto feels better when he hits third than when he hits second. And I think maybe Lane Thomas feels better when he's leading off than when he's hitting, say, sixth or seventh. It's where he had his best success last year. And so there's a comfort there and knowing that he has done it before when hitting there. And maybe just in the back of his mind somewhere, when he starts the year hitting down in the order, he's thinking to himself, okay, I'm not the leadoff guy anymore. I'm going to have to be a different kind of hitter, a run producer, et cetera, et cetera. And now it didn't really quite work for him. Now, I mean, he was starting to get hot before they made the move. They didn't put him up at the top of the lineup in order to get him going. It was already starting to happen. But since going up there, he has really looked a lot like the guy that we saw in August and September. And so I think you're going to see him continue as long as it's going well to do that. And what's interesting is Davey has told him when you're hitting up there, don't start thinking of yourself any differently. Don't go up there and thinking I got to draw walks. Use the same aggressive approach you had. Look to drive the ball. Don't think of yourself as a table setter. And so far, so good. It's worked. Whether consciously, I'm subconsciously, it is working for him. And maybe that's just ultimately where he is best suited to be in a lineup. Yeah. I mean, I wish you could just impress on all these guys. Forget about where you're batting and just do you, you know, just do you. Don't worry about whether you're the one guy or the two guy or the three guy or the five guy, but they're obviously not robots. It's so interesting with Lane Thomas last year. So he and Trey Turner for the Nats last season ended up having more or less the same amount of plate appearances as number one batters. Trey had 195 plate appearances. Lane had 191. Trey's OPS as an Nats leadoff batter last year was 859. Lane's was 852. He was essentially Trey Turner last season as a number one batter. So, you know, I remember we talked about this when the Nats offense was really struggling early in the year and Cesar Hernandez was only having singles and no walks and hitting for no power. It's like, hey, you know, you have a guy who last year did a pretty good job in that leadoff spot. Maybe we should see more of him. Now, his performance wasn't meriting that. He was, Lane Thomas is really struggling. He's gotten going. Now he's been, quote unquote, rewarded with being vaulted back to that number one spot. And at least so far, it's it's looking good. You know, it feels better with him there because you feel like there is an upside with Lane Thomas. You know, Cesar Hernandez, we don't know. Like, I'm probably not going to be here beyond this season. So 
Uh, it's good to see Lane Thomas doing well. I'm really happy to see that, and hopefully he keeps it going. I mean, look, Nats' offense has been outstanding over these last two games. I'll be honest with you. After Friday night, I was not expecting what we saw on Saturday. I thought Saturday was going to be, you know, 6-1 Nats loss. The offense does next to nothing. We've seen that so many times this season. Maybe we are finally going to see this offense go on a little run here. you got a nice homestand coming up. Going to be a lot of emotion with the Ryan Zimmerman thing coming up next weekend. Maybe the offense is finally picking up here. You know, it is June. Traditionally, June is when an offense gets going. But there has been a lot to like with this Nats lineup over these last two games. So I looked it up coming into the game because I had the same feeling. Once I saw they scored 11 runs, I'm like, well, that means I'm going to see them get shut out or score one on Saturday. So eight times this year, They've scored in double digits, which is second most in the majors. Only the Yankees have done it more times, okay? And yet, they had previously had lost five of the next seven games after scoring in double digits. And until this one, they had only scored more than five runs in the subsequent game once this year. And that was a a back-to-back in San Francisco in late April when all of a sudden we thought things were going really well. And Victor Robles had an incredible series and we thought he was about to take off. So it really has not happened consistently. They legitimately have had a great game offensively and come back the next day and been shut out or scored one or two. So to see it happen back-to-back days is very encouraging. I don't know if it's going to continue to happen. We've wanted to believe all along this lineup is better than we've seen We certainly know they're capable of doing what they do on these individual basis. It's just a matter of can they do it day in and day out. But if those big three guys are producing, then I'd be willing to bet they can do it more consistently because that's the key to it all. If those three guys are hitting, you're not going to get shut out very much. Yeah, and hitting home runs. We're seeing the Nats finally hit for some power. The Nats on Saturday won despite being out hit 11-9. The Nats scored eight runs on nine hits. You love that efficiency, right? Basically a run per hit. Why? Well, you hit three more home runs in this game on Saturday to go with that big uh, double by Nelson Cruz. Well, Patrick Corbin was the Nats starting pitcher for this 8-6 win over the Brewers at Nationals Park on Saturday. And It's a real shame how his outing ended because for the longest time in this outing, this looked like a good outing for Patrick Corbin. And especially when the Nats had themselves an 8-1 lead after five innings, you said, okay, big lead, work quickly, throw strikes, let's go home early, have a nice Saturday evening. And, you know, Davey doesn't have to use the bullpen to any real major extent. Well, Corbin was good through six innings. He gave up a leadoff homer to Christian Yelich to center field in the top of the first, okay? And that was troubling, but we've seen that happen before, and then he settles down, and he did settle down. He threw scoreless. Corbin did second, third, fourth, fifth, and six innings. One run in six innings. You love that. I wonder if Davey was at all tempted to just pull Corbin then, because Davey likes to do that, of like, let the guy leave on a high note. But you no, know, the Nats are up big. You say, let Corbin eat up some innings. You know, he owes it to the Nats with what he's done the last few seasons, right? Well, old Corby goes out there in the top of the seventh, and he allows three runs and gets no outs. So he gives up a first pitch leadoff double to Victor Caratini off the center field warning track. Uh, Corbin then gave up an RBI double to Lorenzo Kane to the left field corner to cut the Nats lead to 8-2. Corbin then gave up a two-run homer to Mark Mathias to left field to cut the Nats lead to 8-4. Corbin then gave up a single to Christian Yelich to right center field to beat the shift on a 1-2 pitch and then got pulled from the game. So ultimately for Patrick Corbin, Four runs in six innings, Uh, seven hits, two homers, two doubles, and three singles, issued two walks through 103 pitches. It's a shame that his outing ended like this. You could tell, especially, I mean, after that leadoff double by Caratini in the seventh, Corbin looked shot. That was a well-struck ball by Caratini, but I understand where Davey was coming from. It's like, we're up big. 
eat up some innings for me, please. And unfortunately, Corbin just could not get anybody out in that seventh. And they're in a stretch here where they're playing 11 home games in 10 days. And we talked about already the situation for their starter on Sunday. He was trying to get everything he could out of his starter in this one and save the bullpen. And I completely agree. I mean, he's at 88 pitches after six innings. And I would argue that at that point, I'm thinking this is his best start of the year. This is the best as he's looked. You have the early home run by Yelich, and then otherwise only one other hit he allowed, and that was an infield single. So we talk so much about Corbin giving up so many hits and so much loud contact. You didn't see that in this game. I thought he really looked good. His velocity was up a little bit, both the fastball and the slider, about a mile, mile and a half above his season average. And maybe that little extra oomph made a difference. And then he gets to the seventh and he admitted afterwards that his legs is kind of didn't have him under him, you know, sort of a sign of, oh, maybe I'm a little fatigued at this point. And when it went south, it went south in a hurry. And you wonder if if that's the fine line, if maybe that's what it is with Corbin. When he loses just a mile or two per hour off his velocity, all of a sudden he gets really hittable. I think they also were frustrated that was throwing a lot more fastballs that inning instead of the slider, which had been such a good pitch for him all day. So I don't fault Davey at all for trying to get another inning or at least start that inning with him. You're up seven runs. He's not even at 90 pitches yet. Boy, it just changes the outlook on that start so much. When we go back at the end of the year and we look at this start against the Brewers, four runs and six innings, we're going to say, oh, no, no big deal. Like that was just another start. When in fact, I think it arguably was his best start of the year. And I don't want to diminish it because of how it ended, because I did think there was a lot of good stuff going on there for six innings. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, on the one hand, you love what you saw through six innings. And on the other hand, it was kind of a reminder of this is just kind of who he is. Like you can't ask for that much from him anymore. You almost have to just take what you can get and then move on to something else because he just cannot be trusted. Like this was a game that was tailor-made for him to pitch deep into the game, come out with a nice final line. I thought in watching this game, listening to this game of what Mike Rizzo said to you guys a few weeks ago now about Corbin, stop nibbling and attack batters. I think we need to pitch in more. We have to be more aggressive with our fastball inside the plate to open up the outer, outer half of the plate to get guys out. Rizzo, let's be honest, he basically called out Corbin's manhood, okay? He basically said, stop being such a wuss and attack these guys. You figure, all right, you're up 8-1. You can do that. And just he ran out of gas in that seventh inning. I mean, it, it was as clear as can be, but there definitely were things to like from Corbin uh, in this game. Four runs in six innings, though, ends up being the final line. Then with the Nats' bullpen on Saturday. So, Erasmo Ramirez relieved Corbin in that seventh, induced a double play on the first pitch that he threw, but then gave up back-to-back singles, got pulled from the game. Kyle Finnegan came in. He tossed one and a third scoreless innings. It was good to see that. But then we had Tanner Rainey struggle again uh, in uh, the top of the ninth inning here. You know, he has not looked great over his last few outings. Rainey issued a one-out, five-pitch walk of Andrew McCutcheon and then gave up a two-out, two-run homer to Luis Arias to left center field to cut the Nats' lead to 8-6. And I think if you're watching this game, you say to yourself, oh boy, don't you can't lose this game, okay? Please, you can't lose this game. Up 8-1, back-to-back-to-back home runs from your three big bats. Saturday afternoon, people are feeling good. Beautiful weather outside. Like, please don't blow this game. Nats didn't. They won the game. Uh, Rainey did have two strikeouts in that ninth inning, but man, he has not looked at his best over his last few outings here. No, and I don't know a whole lot of what to make of it. I mean, it, we always say uh, for a closer, when you're pitching with a four-run lead that maybe you're not quite have the same intensity, but it's not like he's 
got so much experience pitching in one run games as a closer that anything less than, you know, in that kind of situation is going to throw him off. I mean, he's still pretty inexperienced in this role. I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure what to make of him. I know the big picture. He's looked pretty good this year, but I feel like just having watched the two of them and especially the situations they've been thrown in, I feel like Kyle Finnegan's doing a better job. Certainly Carl Edwards Jr. is, although that's a you know different role that he's in pitching earlier in games. I feel like Finnegan is more consistently overwhelming hitters, whereas Rainey, he gets his outs, but it's not necessarily blowing him away. And he does seem more susceptible to giving up big hits like that and certainly walks. I feel like every time Rainey gets into trouble, it's usually after he walks a hitter and sets himself up for some trouble. Maybe out of the stretch, he's just not as good. Whereas Finnegan, I think, has done a good job of showing that he can get out of jams, either in created by others or even by himself. So we'll see how it all plays out. I don't think they're talking about changing anybody's roles at this point. But on a day when this should have just been a nice and easy win up seven runs in the seventh inning, that's not the way you wanted it to go. You, you really wanted to have a much smoother path through those final three innings. Yeah, the Brewers do hit a lot of home runs, like an exorbitant percentage of the Brewers' runs this season have come on home runs. So you got to be careful with this lineup. It is a dangerous lineup. And Milwaukee ultimately hit as many homers in this game as the Nats did. Each team had the three home runs. But you score eight runs, you usually are going to win, and the Nats did win in this game. So we have game three of this series on Sunday afternoon. We'll see what happens with Paolo Espino. We're taping this installment of the Nats Chat podcast uh, prior to AAA Rochester's game on Saturday night. Cole Henry is starting that game, so we'll see how he ends up doing. But I do want to get your take on what happened with Cade Cavalli on Friday night. So he ended up struggling in a 6-4 loss for Rochester at the St. Paul Saints. Four runs in five innings. He gave up six hits, including two homers and two doubles, issued four walks. He had been really good in each of his previous three starts of having struggled over his first seven this season. Do you think we're like right on the doorstep of Cavalli being called up and like each start might be the start that triggers him being called up? And so him struggling Friday night, had he not struggled, maybe he would be called up soon now. Or do you think there's still sort of a bigger picture view of he's going to be called up soon, but we're not necessarily monitoring start to start to where each start could be his final start for Rochester before he's called up? I think it's somewhere in between those two scenarios you just laid out. I think they feel like because he had just had a nice little run there, okay, we're getting close, but they obviously want to do that when they feel like he is on a sustained run. And so, yeah, one bad start like that can throw off the timeline where all of a sudden you might be saying, okay, maybe one more and we think he's ready to go. Well, no, now they maybe need to see two or three more quality ones before it happens. You know, there was a point that I was thinking we might see him before this homestand is over. I suppose it's still possible, although they're facing the Braves and the Phillies, who are both red hot right now, both have very good lineups. I don't know that that's necessarily the matchup you're looking for. The road trip to Baltimore and Texas is a little more advantageous of a situation to put a guy in to make his major league debut unless they care about trying to make it happen at home instead. So now you're talking couple more weeks until that happens. But you know, ultimately, it's about how he pitches and he will let them know when he's ready with his performance. And the way he pitched on Friday probably said to them, well, let's back off a little bit here. Let's not just uh, immediately promote him. We need to see some more success from him and maybe more than just one more good start, but you may need to see a few more from him. You can always tweet us uh, at Nats underscore chat. Our friend M-Anyway, I love some of these Twitter names, has been begging us to provide updates on Sean Doolittle and Anibal Sanchez. 
I wouldn't hold your breath on either guy, but where are we right now with Sean Doolittle and Anibal Sanchez? There's some good news with Doolittle. He has been throwing recently and, and you know, finally cleared to do all that. And he's been very encouraged by how that has gone. Now, you know, the big step for him will be to get on a mound and do that and not have any issues with the elbow. And now you start building yourself up again. So, you know, but so far that's actually pretty good. Remember, he was put on the 60 day IL. He got that PRP injection and that was going to be. I think four to six weeks after that before he could even start uh, doing much of anything. So he's just now in the building up process. But so far, so good for a situation that, you know, let's be honest, kind of like Joe Ross a year ago, we didn't really know where this was going to go. We still don't know exactly where it's going to go, but at least some encouraging signs there. Annabelle Sanchez was with the team in Miami and he was actually here on Saturday in the clubhouse. He's throwing, he's been off a mound, I think some, but not consistently. I don't know what to say except to say that I don't sense anybody's in a real rush to advance him along. I think we understand at his age, at the situation this team is in. You look, there's a reason that they thought that he would maybe open the year with them in the rotation. That was the plan. They were in a position where they didn't have as many established arms, certainly coming off a short spring training. They thought that he had built up a little bit more from throwing all winter. Well, the situation they're in now, it's hard to see, even if he gets himself in a position where he's ready to go, it's hard to see who they bump in favor of Annabelle Sanchez. So I don't want to jump the gun here on anything and you know suggest that it's not going to happen at some point, but I think it would require both Annabelle making some serious strides here and the team being in a different situation as far as what their pitching needs are. He's a great guy. He's meant so much to everyone around here, but- I'm not holding my breath for that one to happen. Well, I just think you have to be blunt. What would be the point exactly at this point? Like, what is this going to accomplish for you? Like you said, going into the season, maybe. And, you know, if he pitches well and you can parlay him into a trade piece, fine. But you're not doing that now. We're too late into the season for him to be lights out. And then you can trade him for something come August 2nd. So, like, if they need another starter, Cavalli or Henry or any of a number of other people, Evan Lee, like Inable Sanchez would just feel like, what are we doing with that? So yeah, I mean, he gave it a shot. It didn't work. Fine. You know, some minor league contracts work out like Carl Edwards Jr. and Michael Franco to varying degrees and some don't. And that's okay. You know, it's, it's nothing wrong with them having uh, having signed him. Virginia Tech update for you. The Hokies did win on Saturday. It was great to see this. The number four nationally seeded Virginia Tech baseball team defeated Oklahoma 14-8 in Blacksburg in game two of the 2022 NCAA Blacksburg Super Regional. This is a best of three series. This was an elimination game for the Hokies. They won. And so we have a winner take all game five Sunday afternoon at one in Blacksburg. The game will air on ESPNU. And if Virginia Tech wins, the Hokies will advance to the Men's College World Series for the first time in program history. So pretty exciting uh, to be seeing that. And uh, we'll see what goes down on Sunday for the Hokies. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You could also get yourself a secret weapon t-shirt. Wear it loudly and proudly on Sunday afternoon as Paolo Espino will be hopefully pitching the Nats to a three-game sweep of the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, by the way, we had a scare at Nats Park on Saturday, right? A man going into cardiac arrest this happened around the seventh inning, led to two sections at Nationals Park, 208 and 209 being cleared. A Nats team spokeswoman said that the fans included two nurses and an EMT firefighter, but it sounded like the man was doing okay. Was that the last update you heard? 
Yeah, it, it sounds like good news or at least encouraging news after it all. This was going on for a while, and I guess the uh, players even saw it happening from the dugout, could see up into the 200 section. It'd be kind of behind home plate, slightly to the third base side, the club level there. They cleared out those two sections. What I've heard from some fans who were in the area was that it was pretty scary, but they also complimented everybody for how it was handled very calmly. Some volunteers helping out in the immediate aftermath of it before the official EMS could get there. Davey made a point to bring it up in his post game, saying that you know was offering his prayers to the man and, and his family and everyone who was there with him. And we'll keep our fingers crossed that it ends up having a happy ending, but definitely a scare. And you know, kudos to everyone who was there and helped out to hopefully save this man's life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the fans, including two nurses and an EMT firefighter. There is an account that a male fan may have performed CPR on this man so that this guy having this incident, being surrounded by people with medical training, maybe ended up saving his life or at least, you know, helping the situation. So pretty amazing. So yeah, certainly uh, hope for the best there. We certainly thank you for listening to the Nat Chat podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on Nat Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. Nat Chat is on the radio on Sunday mornings at 9 on 1061 ESPN in Richmond and on Sports Radio 965 FM and 850 AM in the Hampton Roads area. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here it comes. Swinging a long drive to the left field line toward the corner. It is fair. One up off the fence. Thomas scores. Hernandez scores. Soto will stop at third. And in its second with a go-ahead two-run double is Nelson Cruz. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.